0: mysterious-ish. We just saw you guys like approximately five minutes ago, but it's okay. yo, Hey yo, hey Dog? Come you on. freaking traitor. I got you a lick mat for your birthday, and I gave you a <gasps> bunch of peanut butter last night. You have to love me. You got a lick mat? She That's sure did. cool. They're supposed to help with anxiety, but she's just a big ball of anxiety. Me too. I love that post that says, gets dog to help with anxiety dog has anxiety yeah that's literally me and macy <laughs> like to a T. okay so uh, we got a super i have a super long one for you today so i'm gonna try to keep the banter to a minimum so that i don't keep erica here for the rest of her life <laughs> and let's go okay so uh first of all general trigger warning for like the whole season but um, specific trigger warning in this episode for child murder and also um, potential spoiler alert for season four of Stranger Things. Oh. So if you haven't seen season four, I will warn you before I spoil it. I told you about this, that one of the people in this case connects to a certain oh. someone oh. from Stranger Things 4. Oh, yes. yes yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you don't, I'll warn you. But if you, don't, if you haven't watched season four of Stranger Things, first of all, what the fuck are you doing? Go watch it. Mm. Second of all, I'll warn you before I... Spoil. Okay, so today we are going to talk about the West Memphis Three. Uh, This case is titled this for a couple of reasons, um, which we'll get into. But I'm going to warn you all right now, this case has me fucking livid. I will not be holding back. Um, I'm going to scream and I may or may not cry. So, sorry. Okay. (laughs) Allow me to set the scene. It is May 5th, 1993, and we are in West Memphis, Arkansas. Something you should know about West Memphis, Arkansas. It is located in what is known as the Bible Belt. Super religious community. So, super Christian community. Mm. Not religious is too broad. They are very Christian. Okay, Christian. So, Bible Belt, West Memphis, Arkansas. Um, three eight-year-old boys went around for a bike ride they were outside after school just you know hanging out their names were christopher byers michael moore and stevie branch Um, around 8 p.m john mark byers who was christopher's stepfather called the west memphis police department to report his son missing he stated that christopher had last been seen around 5 30 working in his yard and within an hour and a half of the of of John Mark Byers's phone call, Dana Moore, who is um, Michael Moore's mom, and Pamela Hobbs, who is Stevie Branch's mom, reported their sons missing as well. Dana said that she saw Michael riding his bike with two friends around six o'clock. Um, Pamela Hobbs said that she hadn't seen her son Stevie since he left for school because she had just gotten home from work. So she was gone all afternoon um, at work. So, a search party was launched to find the three little boys. Um, They searched a four-acre woods near Interstate 40 called Robin Hood Hills, where children would sometimes play. Um, Parents weren't super thrilled about their children playing in these woods. They weren't very uh, safe. They're kind of dangerous just because, you know, first of all, it's a woods, Mm. so animals, and also, like, who knows what's lurking in the woods, and it's right beside an interstate. So um, nothing was discovered that night on may 5th so the next morning um, chief inspector gary gitchell we do not like him announced that he would be leading the search for the boys that afternoon an officer by the name of steve jones saw a black tennis shoe floating in the water of a ditch in the robin hood hills 15 minutes later sergeant mike allen of the west memphis police department pulled a body from the water within an hour two more bodies were found all three boys were naked and hog-tied with their own shoelaces. Yeah, this is going to get rough, but we'll get through it. Um, their right hands were tied to their right wrists, and same with their left side. Uh, their clothes were found in the creek, and some of it was twisted around sticks that were pushed into the mud. So someone had deliberately removed their clothes and shoved them into the mud at the bottom of this ditch. Uh, this gets a, a big ol'... <laughs> Trigger warning for uh, mutilation. Um, if you don't want to hear it, uh, skip forward about 15 seconds, but I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm just going to say it and get it over with, but I'll give you a sec. So Christopher Byers was found with without his scrotum and his penis was skinned, but this was later found to be the result of an animal. Okay, so getting away from that really quickly. Um, it was initially thought that the boys had been raped, but it was later disputed. Police also believed that the boys had been killed at the location they had been found, as opposed to being killed somewhere else and and dumped at this location. Mm -hmm. Um, But this, that, that they had been killed there, that's argued by critics of the West Memphis Police Department. The autopsies revealed that Christopher died of multiple injuries, but that Stevie and Michael both died of multiple injuries and drowning. So it's likely that Christopher was dead before he went into the water, but the other two were not yet dead before they hit the water, because there was water in their lungs, if that makes sense. And they Mm. showed other signs of drowning. Okay. (sighs) Sorry. Real heavy. Um, So let's let's talk about our victims a little bit here, because I feel like it's really important to humanize them, because they're not just... You know, victims of a brutal murder, they're, like, human beings. That would be, like, about my husband's age if they were still alive. So, Steve Edward Branch was the son of Stephen and Pamela Branch. Um, His parents divorced when he was a baby, and Pamela was granted custody of Stevie. She later remarried a man named Terry Hobbs. Stevie was an honor student and had a younger half-sister named Amanda, Christopher Mark Byers was born to Melissa Defer and Rick, Ricky Murray. After his parents divorced when he was four, John Mark Byers married Melissa and adopted young Christopher. His mother said of him, he still believed in the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. James Michael Moore was the son of Todd and Diana Moore. Uh, <laughs> this fucked me up for some reason. Um, He was seen, last seen, wearing a blue Boy Scouts of America t-shirt and an orange and blue Boy Scout hat. He liked to wear his Scout uniform even when he wasn't in a meeting. All three boys were in the Boy Scouts and had ranked Wolf in the local Cub Cub Scouts pack. The three of them were best friends. All right, now that I have uh, ripped your heart out and stomped on it, Let's talk about the investigation that will surely help you understand why so many people are so critical of the West Memphis PD. So soon after the boys' bodies were discovered, uh, rumors started to fly that the killings of these three young boys was the result of devil worshipers. Satanists. Mm-hmm. Um, to, make it, to make matters worse, uh, Chief Inspector Gary fucking Gitchell decided to tell the public and the media that they were investigating the possibility that the murders were connected with cult activity. Mm. (laughs) So, right fucking away, they have a suspect. Like, literally right away. The bodies of the boys were discovered on May 6th, and on May 7th, they started interviewing their unfounded subject. Suspect, sorry. Enter seventeen-year-old Damien Eccles. So let's learn. Let's learn a little bit about our pal Damien. Um, he was a troubled kid from an unfathomably poor family. Like they literally lived in a shed at one point. Like a, sh- a literal shed. Um, I like I grew up poor, but I cannot imagine what this what this kid went through. Like I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, his stepfather was also abusive to the point where he would force his stepchildren to pray by standing over them like he would just stand over them and make them pray like I'm just gonna pray for you to get the fuck away from me like what do you mean (laughs) so he uh, Damien moved around a ton and he eventually dropped out of high school so uh why did the police hone in on Damien what was their evidence you ask Well, (laughs) you see, our boy Damien, um, he was a self-proclaimed Wiccan. (laughs) He had long hair, Mm. wore a trench coat, and listened to that devil-worshipping music. And, and, he read books by (gasps) Stephen King. No. (laughs) So, obviously, he's a fucking child murderer because, (laughs) duh. Duh. he listens to to Metallica and reads Stephen King alright so I'm gonna throw in another character here Um, I'm sorry if this gets confusing if you don't remember who someone is just ask me okay because there's a lot Mm. of people I'm trying my best to keep it straight (laughs) you're doing good so now, enter the scene, Mr. Jerry Driver. Ooh. Just kidding. Fuck you, Jerry. Never mind. Jerry was a juvenile officer who had dealt with Damien before. In fact, I would go so far as to say that Mr. Driver was on the brink of being obsessed with Damien. From the minute he saw Damien, he had his number. He was going to put him in jail. Mm. So, of course, when Jerry Driver heard about these three brutal child murders and heard the fucking chief inspector say cult activity, he immediately knew who committed the crime. So, when Damien was interviewed by the police about the murders, he thought, well, I'm going to tell the truth because I didn't have anything to do with it, so they can't get me on it. Like, they can't convict me of something that I didn't do. You know what I mean? So, he was Hmm. just honest. He had faith. That these police officers would do their jobs and find the real fucking killer. Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was interviewed three times between May 7th and 10th. He told investigators that he'd never heard of the three boys and that the person who killed the three boys was obviously sick. He said that he spent the whole night of May 5th at home with his mother, talking on the phone with. Two girlfriends in Memphis. (laughs) Uh, Damien also willingly took a polygraph test. So the polygraph test showed signs of deception. But mind you, polygraph tests are not even admissible evidence in the courtroom. So take your deceptive results and shove them up your ass because that's all they're good for. Ooh. You can't use a lie detector test in court because there are so many different things that, like, it monitors your your heart rate. It monitors your breath. It monitors your, like, ticks. Like, if you're anxious, I'm always anxious. I would fail every single polygraph test you set me down for. Right. Every single fucking one of them. Because as soon as you say, oh, we need you to take a polygraph test, I'm nervous. <laughs> like, I'm nervous. I don't fuck around. I could be literally telling whole truth all truth nothing but the truth whatever so help me god and i'm still like it's still gonna show deceptive results because i'm a fucking fucking anxious person like Mm -hmm. that's just how it is so so far they got nothing on damien but he has a friend a best friend in fact um they were so close that they were basically brothers so they said they literally call each other brother they're Mm. so close enter jason baldwin Similar to Damien, Jason grew up extremely poor, and his mother struggled with mental illness, so he often took care of his younger siblings. Um, Jason was a very good student, and he believed in God. That will be very important later. Jason was an outcast, just like Damien. Um, They were best friends. So poor Jason became guilty by association in this case. Like, literally. The police only picked him up because... He hung out with Damien Eccles. So he literally guilty by association. Cool. Thanks. All right. I'm so sorry. Another character here. But this is, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say this is the last one, but I, it's probably not. So sorry. <laughs> mm. But this is another one of the super important ones. So we've got the three um, the three eight-year-old boys, Christopher Byers, Stevie Branch, Michael Moore. Those were the three murder victims. And then we also have the three boys who are being accused of killing these three boys so we've got damian Mm eccles jason baldwin Mm -hmm. and jesse miss kelly so this is the completion of the west memphis three so damian jason and jesse are the west memphis three okay okay um he is our sixth and final victim in this case because there are not only you know the three murder victims but then there were the three who were wrongfully accused so let's learn a little bit about jesse Um, he was known as a very scrappy guy and had a lot of horrible nicknames making fun of his size. Um, he was really short, um, shorter than average. So he got picked on a ton and he felt the need to compensate for it using, you know, violence and being kind of aggressive. Um, but here's the thing about Jesse. Um, he had an IQ of 72. That is significantly lower than an average 17 18 year old Mm -hmm. Um, according to wikipedia this classified him as borderline intellectual functioning so he had intellectual disabilities and this is vital for what i'm about to tell you on june 3rd almost a month after the murders the police pick up jesse miss kelly and take him in to be interrogated mind you this boy is 17 at the time a minor he was questioned alone, without the presence of his parents or a lawyer or even another uh, like trusted adult, and he was questioned for twelve hours. Twelve hours—a seventeen-year-old. You want to know how much of that interview is um, actually recorded? None of it. Forty-six minutes. <sighs> this is where I'm gonna get real fucking mad. I'm gonna start screaming. This poor kid is scared. Mm. He is fucking terrified. The police are not being nice to him. They are being very rude. They are treating him like shit. Um, Here's a quote from Jesse that I found in Devil's Knot, which was written by uh, Mara Leverett. It's a very good book. It's got so many different details. It's available on Scribd if you guys have Scribd. I just, I thought it was a really good book. So the quote is, "...but then he told me he couldn't ask me no questions without my dad signing papers." I told him my dad wouldn't have a problem with that, so we left the police station where my dad was at. While we was on the way, he told me if I knew anything that there was a $35,000 reward. And if I could help them out, we'd get the money. We met my dad down on the service road. I talked to my dad about it. He said if I knew anything to tell the police, and then my dad could buy him a new truck. We went back to the police station. I just told them what I knew about the kids I seen on the side of the service road and what my friend told me. That's all I knew. That's when they gave me a polygraph. You know what they told this boy a polygraph was? Hmm. They told him that it was a machine that could read people's minds. What? I'm going to use a lot of quotes here because there's no other way that I can show you how coerced this confession is. So here's another quote from the same book, but it's Jesse speaking. Then Gitchell came and got me and took me to another room, and that's when he started talking to me. The whole time, the same questions that they'd already asked me, they kept asking me over and over again. When Gitchell asked me what the boys looked like, I told him all the stuff I'd heard. I kept telling Gary Gitchell I wanted to go home. He said I could go home in a minute, then he kept asking me the same questions over and over again. From that point, it just got rougher on down. They asked me, how did I know so much about the murder if I didn't do it? I kept telling him I didn't know who did it, I just knew of it, what my friend told me. But they kept hollering at me, Gary Gitchell and Brian Ridge both. They kept saying they knew I had something to do with it because other people done told them. After I told him what the boys were wearing, Gary Gitchell told me, was any of them tied up?" That's when I went along with him. I repeated what he told me. I said, yes, they was tied up. He asked, "What was they tied up with?" I told him a rope. He got mad. He told me, "God damn it, Jesse, don't mess with me." He said, "No, they was tied up with shoestrings." I had to go th- all through the story again until I got it right. They hollered at me until I got it right. so whatever he was telling me, I started telling him back. I fig- But I figured something was wrong, because if I'd have killed him, I'd have known how i done it. This poor kid, he just wants to go home. Mm-hmm. He is telling them what they want to hear, because he thinks they are going to give him the money for his dad to get a new truck. He does not think that they are going to arrest him for murder and put him in jail for a long fucking time. He has an IQ of 72. He does not have the intellectual capacity to think far enough ahead. And this is like in the court case during Jesse's trial, there is a, a an expert who comes in and says that his IQ will not like, not his IQ, I don't know how to say this in a way that's not offensive, but his IQ is low and he like doesn't have the forethought to think ahead and be like oh if I say this then this is going to happen he just thinks okay right now I am uncomfortable I am scared I am sad they are being mean to me I need to tell them what they want to hear so that I can get out of this situation that I'm in right now Mm -hmm. he does not have the, the the forethought to think oh hey um you know if I say that if I make it seem like I killed these boys, I'm going to go to jail. No, he just thinks, if I say that I killed these boys, they're going to let me go home right now. Right. He doesn't, it's not, I, <clears throat> these cops were just horrible to poor Jesse. They showed him <laughs> pictures of the three boys' dead bodies to scare him. They played a clip of another eight-year-old boy. Um, They played his voice. We'll get to it. I'll introduce that character later. Um, but this voice said, nobody knows what happened, but me, a disembodied eight-year-old fucking boy voice. They played that clip for him to scare him, showed him pictures, everything to scare him. They, the police claimed that they didn't know of Jesse's intellectual disabilities, but then they continue to demean him throughout his interview. They asked him eight different times what time he was at the scene of the crime and he and they told him that he was probably wrong and couldn't tell what time it was so he was like oh you know it was probably like noon or one and they were like oh well did you have your watch and he goes no and he go they were like oh okay well then you're probably wrong because it did not happen that early in the day because the boys all six of the boys were at school that day mm-hmm. all six of them um At one point, they asked Jesse if he knew what a penis was in reference to the mutilation of Christopher Byers. But, um, they definitely didn't know of his, uh, intellectual disability. No, sorry. Sure didn't know. No fucking clue. (laughs) There are so many things wrong with this interview and this whole investigation. And I could just go on and on and on and on forever and ever about this. Um, but they got a confession out of Jesse. They got a confession. He told them that he, Damien and Jason were all three involved in the murders of these three eight year old boys. He tells the investigators that Damien had one boy held down and that he was hitting him and quote, screwing him. Uh, keep in mind that multiple forensic pathologists said that the boys were not sexually assaulted in any way. So that's just a lie. Um, that jesse said just to get the cops off his back and um also that jason had another boy held down beating him and that jason was the one who castrated christopher byers now remember that i said earlier that it was later proven that christopher byers was not castrated by a knife or a man he was castrated by animals like Mm -hmm. snapping turtles and because he was face down in that creek for God knows how long. Hours. Mm -hmm. Jesse also said that the third boy tried to run, so Jesse chased him down and brought him back. So now the investigators had all three boys. All three of them were now implicated in this murder by a false coerced confession. There were multiple times that Jesse tried to remove himself from the scene of this tale. The scene of this tale that the investigators were spinning. He said that he grabbed Michael Moore and brought him back to Damien and Jason, and then he took off. You know what the investigator said to that? Well, then you came back, and and they did this to him multiple times. He kept saying, oh, yeah, I came back, and, and I did blah, 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 and then I took off, and then I went home. And they were like, oh, but but then you came back, and you did, and he just kept going with it because he's just doing <laughs> They didn't allow Jesse to tell the story. They fed him the lines that they needed him to say so that they could convict them, these three boys. At one point, uh, Jesse said something about how he went home and the investigators said, and how long after you got home did you get a phone call? A half hour? An hour? So he said, about an hour after I got home, I got a phone call. So what they're doing is they're using a psychology trick they're using psychology to trick this kid into saying what they want him to say. Not to mention all of the time they don't have recorded and don't have notes over when they were coaching him and telling him the answers that they wanted to hear because 46 minutes of recording out of 12 hours of an interview. Mm -hmm. So what happened the rest of the um, 10 hours and, Ha, uh, fourteen minutes. Hmm. What were you doing for those those ten hours? Coaching him, telling him what you wanted to hear, being rude to him, beating him down until he gives you what you want to fucking here. Da ah! I'm sorry. I could really go on and on forever about this case, but I'm gonna. I'm just gonna keep going. So, uh, uh, Jesse Miss Kelly was never released after his questioning. Um, he was immediately placed in a cell after being told that his father would have to come and pick him up because he's a minor. Mm -hmm. But they interviewed him without a guardian, a parent, a lawyer, nothing. So uh, Jason and Damien were both arrested at Damien's house. Now this is really sad. Uh, Normally Jason wouldn't have been at Damien's on a weeknight um, as he was usually tasked with babysitting his younger brothers while his mom worked. Um, but he had just finished his final exams and subsequently the 10th grade. So his mom arranged for another babysitter so he could go out and celebrate with his friends. And then he got arrested. Cool. So around 1030 p.m., dozens of police cars surround Damien's trailer and arrest Damien and Jason. They were charged with three counts of capital murder. And Jesse was charged with one count of first degree murder because of the boy that he supposedly retrieved and brought back. Hmm. And two counts of second degree murder for the other two boys because he was supposedly there. Um, This is going to get kind of confusing with all of the technical terms and charges here. So I'm just going to give you some really quick definitions just to help. Um, So starting with Jason and Damien, capital murder is punishable by death and it involves murder plus an additional felony like rape or kidnapping. First-degree murder is the premeditated intentional murder of a person, um, but just the murder, not the rape or the kidnapping or anything. And second-degree murder is the indirect murder of a person by way of being an accomplice. So that's why Jesse gets first-degree and second-degree, because he did not rape or kidnap the children. He just was there. Mm -hmm. And he, um, whatever. But that, it just... And the pre whatever, whatever, It None of it makes sense. It's all such bullshit. I'm sorry. I'm just, this makes me so angry. Woo. Okay. Let's talk about the trials. So Jesse's trial was first and he was um, represented by Dan Stidham. I'm sorry. More characters. I know. I'm sorry. Um, the prosecution, which is against uh, the side against Jesse. So the tri- side that's trying to um, put him in jail, mm. convict him was uh, headed up by John Fogelman, and the presiding judge was David Burnett. He is a bitch, and we do not like him. Okay. So a quick rundown of Jesse's trial. The defense tried to prove that Jesse's confession was coerced, obviously, because it fucking was. And so they brought in an expert on false confessions and police coercion, and he testified that the recording of Jesse's interrogation was a, quote, classic example of police coercion. But here's the thing. Bitch-ass Burnett wouldn't allow this expert to say that he believed Jesse's confession was coerced. But just fucking wait until you hear what he would allow in Damien and Jason's trial. Because it gets fucking ridiculous. So do you remember the disembodied eight-year-old's voice who said, Nobody knows what happened but me. Mm. Um, Well, this eight-year-old boy, his name was Aaron Hutchinson. uh, Hutchison, sorry, not Hutchinson. Um... A little boy who Jesse would babysit from time to time. And his mom, Aaron's mom, Vicki Hutchison, made some super bold claims in the trial about Damien and Jesse. Little Miss Vicky claimed that she went with Jesse and Damien to another town in Arkansas to a Wiccan meeting or an espot. I'm going to read this quote from Devil's Knot because Mara Leverett puts it best. So, quote, Hutchison later reported to Bray that on the, wit- on the night of Wednesday, May 19th, two weeks after the, chil- the night the children disappeared, I can read, Damien picked her up at her house in a red Ford Escort. Beyond the description of the car, her details of the experience were thin. Jessie was in the car, she said. Damien drove them to a field north of Marion. They'd approached it by a dirt road and she'd heard water running in the distance. When she climbed out of the car, she saw about 10 young people with faces and arms painted black, taking off their clothes and touching each other. Offended, she asked Damien to take her home and he agreed. Damien drove the car, leaving Jesse behind at the orgy. Here's the thing though Damien couldn't drive, he didn't have a license. He didn't even know how to drive. He had never driven before. Nor did a Ford Escort, Escort, fuck me, nor did a Ford Escort exist in his family, let alone a red one. So this whole story is fabricated and she later admits that. Like in 2002, I think she says, oh, by the way, that was all bullshit. Oh, okay. Because the police had um threatened to to steal, like to not to steal, to take her, her child away from her. And have him put in foster care. So she lied. So after a whole lot of fucking around, uh, the jury deliberated and reached a verdict. Jesse Kelly was convicted of one count of first degree murder and two counts of second degree murder. He was sentenced to one life sentence for the first degree and two 20 year sentences for the other two counts. So basically he got life plus 40 years. Now, I think... It's important to hear what Melissa Byers, um, Christopher Byers's mom, had to say after the sentencing. "Quote: This doesn't change anything. Christopher's dead. He was, and he was tortured to death by three murdering bastards on a ditch bank. He was eight years old, and guilty is guilty. I, and I hope the little sucker, when he hits Cummins, they get his ass right off the bat because he deserves to be tortured and punished for the rest of his life for murdering three eight-year-old children." Obviously, this is a mother grieving the loss of her baby. Right. She is allowed to say whatever she wants about the people who took him from her. It's just so unfortunate that the police really had everyone believing that Damien, Jason, and Jesse were the ones who took Christopher from her. Because they weren't. It -hmm. wasn't them. If you're not convinced of this by the end of this episode, then I didn't do my job. So now moving on to Jason and Damien's trial. Um, Remember that their trial was not separated. I actually don't think I said that. Whatever. Jesse had a separate trial, but Jason and Damien's were together. So anything said about one reflects on the other person as well. Now, Jesse was offered a shorter sentence if he were to testify against Jason and Damien. uh, And he was going to do it. But his stepmom told him before the trial that she was going to be in that courtroom and that she was going to know if he lied. So the night before Jason and Damien's trial began, Jesse said that he wouldn't testify against them, which was good news. Mm. It was good. So basically the only evidence that they had against Damien and Jason was a bunch of hearsay. They had Vicki Hutchison's bullshit story. They had witnesses that said they saw Damien and his girlfriend, Domini, on the service road near the scene. Uh, This is bullshit because that places Domini at the scene of the crime instead of Jason. And um, she was never a suspect. But, but, But there are also a couple, there were also a couple of girls who claimed that they heard Damien admit to the murders at a softball game saying that he killed the three boys and he was going to do two more. He was going to kill two more before he turned himself in. Now, here's the kicker. Another piece of hearsay evidence is a guy that was in jail with Jason named Michael Carson. He claims that Jason, um, trigger warning, he claims that Jason confessed to him that he, quote, sucked the blood from the penis and scrotum and put the balls in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Jason said this to Michael Carson. But um, let's talk about Michael Carson real quick. Right. His whole story was bullshit, obviously. Um, Jason said that he had never seen, let alone spoken to, Michael Carson in jail. Also, the information came from a counselor at the detention center. So the counselor wrote to Jason's lawyers and said, quote, We, as in the counselor and Michael Carson, were discussing the case in a meeting and I told him what people were saying about the victims and about what was allegedly done to the bodies. This young man then went to the police and stated that you, Jason, had confessed these details to him while in detention together. So this story was all rumors and they were being, there were rumors that were being spread about the murders. Um, the counselor apologized for their mistake and said quote, I was completely out of line and very stupid for engaging in conversation of that nature. I would give anything in the world if I could take back the comments that I made or change what happened. So basically some counselor was just like sitting down with, with Michael Carson and was like, oh yeah, just shooting the shit about this murder investigation and he just slipped up and said something and then Michael Carson was like, oh if I say that i bet i can get a shorter sentence and so he took it and ran and fucked jason over i mean just ridiculous um as far as uh physical evidence goes they had some fibers um one of which was found on stevie branch's shirt and belonged to jason's mother uh and the other fiber was found to have matched a shirt of damien's so um here's the thing about fiber evidence it's fake. They cannot conclusively say, this specific fiber belongs to this specific shirt or piece of material. It's the same way with like hair. You can have a piece of hair now, this is this is pretty recent, like within the last five or six years. Now you can have a piece of hair and they can like look at it and then they can compare this random hair to your hair and say, Yeah, that's about a 90% match. But it also matches, you know, um, 1,376,000 people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Like, so they cannot conclusively say this specific hair belongs to this specific person. So fiber evidence and hair evidence are bullshit at this point. But another piece of uh, physical evidence that they have on Jason and Damien is a knife. That they claimed was used in the murders. Um, This knife was found at the bottom of a lake behind Jason's house. Uh, This knife was found supposedly on a hunch um, by fucking Fogelman. (laughs) He uh, just had a hunch that would be in in that lake. So he just had a hunch that the murder weapon would be in that lake. Sorry, I said that really weird. Now, what I heard from Morbid Podcast um, was that Jason's mom had told investigators about this knife um, that Jason had loved and that she had thrown it in the lake one day about a year ago because Jason was misbehaving. So, she, so his his hunch, Vogelman's hunch, wasn't a hunch at all. He was literally told by Jason's mom, oh yeah, Jason had this knife that he really, really liked, but one day he was being kind of an asshole teenager, you know, so I just took it and threw it in the lake to prove a point. punish him you know whatever so whatever Mm. bullshit so the trial begins um the prosecution's strategy is to prove that damien is a satanist and that the murders were satanic in nature so jason again is simply guilty by association he there's not much for him besides the knife and the michael carson story so they attack damien's personality of course stating that he practiced wicca wore his hair long and dark, and wore a trench coat, constantly wore black, listened to Metallica and read Stephen King novels. They cited his 11 black t-shirts. They also found a book called Never on a Broomstick, which is basically the history of witchcraft. So, here we go. One witness that the prosecution brings forth is named Dr. Dale Griffiths, a cult expert from ohio Mm. griffiths had all sorts of shit to say including that the moon was full on the night of the murders which is incorrect after a real quick (laughs) goob the moon phase on may 5th 1993 was waxing gibbous so fuck you dr griffiths he also stated that the number three is one of the most powerful numbers in uh satanic belief because six, six, six and uh, the base root of six is three. Ah, whatever the fuck that means. So uh, it gets real fucking ridiculous in here. I promise. So Damien's attorney, uh, David Price asked if Griffiths knew of the Holy Trinity and uh, he refused to answer because six 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 three. 666 six, six, but holy trinity so no three is in fact satanic not holy regardless of the father and the son and the holy spirit <laughs> so what <laughs> <tentacles, falling>, <laughs> sir <laughs> this is fucking ridiculous this guy is a fucking i just i hate him Also, this Dr. Griffiths, as I keep calling him, because he was uh, absolutely not a fucking doctor at all. No, he actually a dentist. (laughs) Hold on. Just wait. No, 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 no. It's not even that. Just wait. Jason's attorney, Paul Ford, asked Dr. Griffiths what classes he had taken to obtain his master's degree. Griffiths avoided the question. He, you know, stumbled around and he was like, "Oh, but I already answered that." And oh, oh, but, but, and he, Ford was like, "Dude, just answer the fucking question." And he goes, "None, no, none." Ford asked what classes Griffiths had taken to obtain his Ph.D. His fucking doctorate. Griffiths again fumbled and said, "None." Oh. Not this boy got a fucking mail order degree from a non-accredited school. He took no fucking classes, not a single class on occult anything, anything. He's not a fucking expert. But bitch-ass Burnett, the judge, allowed this man to speak, but not the actual expert on the police coercion and um whatever, the other thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That. It's fine. He was an actual expert, and this guy is not. But this fuck can speak with the actual expert who went to a legitimate fucking Stanford, Harvard, whatever, wasn't allowed. I just... ah, (laughs) I'm real mad. Do you see why this is so fucking frustrating? So, the defense, they tried their best to humanize Jason and Damien and show that they weren't fucking Satanist murderers. Damien got on the stand... Um, this is probably not the greatest idea. It's not very, it's not standard practice to put the uh, defendant on the stand because the prosecution can then tear them to shreds. I mean, you saw Amber Heard. Mm -hmm. They ripped her a new one multiple times. So it's not a good idea, but they did it because they wanted to humanize him. So Damien read excerpts from his personal journal, um, one of which was, quote, Life is but a walking shadow. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. This is from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Then he read another, quote, Pure black looking clear. My work is soon done here. Try getting back from that which used to be. That is from Metallica's Injustice for All album. Damien said this album, this Metallica album set quote, talks about how warped the court systems are, stuff like that. Exhibit A, this fucking trial. <laughs> it just, <laughs> funny when Because this, that, that, um, the whole trial, all of them, both of them were recorded, like, through this Paradise Lost documentary and released to the public. And so they showed that, that specific clip in this documentary and uh (laughs) damien says that album talks about how uh how warped the court systems are and stuff like that and then the camera pans to judge burnett and he's like he just like (laughs) fucking looks away (laughs) it was just funny So I watched all three of the Paradise Lost documentaries because they had such good insight into the trials. They had really good interviews with the defendants, the victim's parents, the um, judge, the uh, Gary Gitchell, like so many good interviews. And it was was just really good content. Um, The first movie filmed the entirety of both trials, like I said. And at the end of Jason and Damien's trials for Closing Arguments... The fucking prosecutor, John Fogelman, says some seriously stupid shit. Just, uh, uh, uh. he said, quote, anything wrong with wearing black in and of itself? No. Anything wrong with the heavy metal stuff in and of itself? No. The Book of Shadows, anything wrong with that in and of itself? No, but when you look at it all together and you begin to see inside Damien Eccles, you see inside that person and you look inside there and there's not a soul in there. Unquote. Let's see here. Black? Yep, I wear that quite a lot. In fact, I'm wearing black shorts right now. Um, My, oh, wait, I switched my gauges. They're not black anymore. Um, In high school, I pretty much only wore black. I'm looking at Erica and Erica is wearing a black sweatshirt and black leggings. Like Ooh. heavy metal. Oh yeah, that's my favorite kind of music. Especially in fucking high school. It's pretty much all I listened to. Erica can attest to this. God yeah. <laughs> Hollywood Undead was my shit. I didn't really listen to Metallica, but I listened to like Attila, which is like just as bad, if not worse, than Metallica, in these people's eyes. Um, Book of Shadows. Yeah, I fucking have one. I also have tarot cards and crystals, a cauldron and a thame and all sorts of literal spell books. Are you going to convict me of a murder with no basis for evidence besides those three things? Are you fucking stupid? That's not how it works. You, I, oh, okay. I'm just going to keep going. I have a lot. Anyways, on March 18th, 1994, Jason Baldwin and Damien Eccles are found guilty of capital murder in the deaths of Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch. Jason is sentenced to life in prison, and Damien was sentenced to death by lethal injection. The state of Arkansas was going to murder a teenager for a crime that he simply did not commit. They sentenced two fucking teenagers to life in prison and one to death because of the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s. Because Damien and Jason wore black and listened to Metallica, and because Jesse was coerced into confessing. They were going to kill someone for a crime they did not commit. In May of 1994, the three boys appeal their convictions. Obviously, it's wrongful. Whatever. Here's the thing. Bitch-ass Burnett is still the presiding judge, And he stands firm by these boys' convictions. He will not let it go. He won't even ponder the idea that he could have been wrong, that these boys could be innocent. Won't, just won't accept it. So the appeals are denied. Um, Convictions are upheld. Throughout the years, Burnett denies petitions to retry the boys. He denies all of their appeals. He will not let them try anything. Nothing. Nothing. In April of 2001, so at this point, the West Memphis Three have been in prison for seven years, okay. and the Arkansas Supreme Court rules that Burnett, quote, failed to give sufficient attention to Eccles' arguments in his rejection of Damien's Rule 37 petition. So that's when he denied the petition for Damien to get a new trial. That's when Burnett did that. Now, do you remember our old pal Vicki? Yes. Well, let me tell you a story. I think I told you this earlier, but sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, October 2003, 10 years after the murders of the three eight-year-old boys, nine years after the West Memphis Three have been in prison, Vicky tells the Arkansas Times that everything she told the police was a fucking lie. She said that the police threatened to take away her child if she didn't cooperate in the investigation. So once again, we see them coercing and threatening people into playing along with their made-up fucking story. I promise we're coming to the end of this. In 2007, DNA collected from the crime scene is tested. It's not a match to Eccles, Baldwin, or Miss Kelly. None of them. Doesn't match any of their three, three uh, suspects. There was a hair found in one of the ligatures that tied the boys up. So one of the, the shoestrings that was tied around their wrists and their feet. Um, this hair was found to be not inconsistent with Terry Hobbs who was Stevie Branch's stepfather. So, basically, they found, like I said earlier, they can't they can't conclusively say this hair belongs to Terry Hobbs, but they can say this hair belongs to someone with hair similar to Terry Hobbs and also this many people on the planet. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. So, um, this is where I want to talk a little bit about Terry Hobbs. Um, he claims that he driped... Driped? dropped his wife, Pam, off at work at 5 p.m. and did not see any of the three boys that entire day. But there are three neighbors who say that they saw Terry interacting with the three boys, calling for Stevie and talking to all three of them. Hobbs also claims that he was with his friend named David Jacoby during the times that the boys were reported to be missing and during the times they were killed. David Jacoby denies this. So, Hobbs doesn't have an alibi. No alibi. Now, I I will not say that I believe that Terry Hobbs killed Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch because he sued uh, the Dixie Chicks for saying that. So, I'm not saying that, but those are the facts. (laughs) He also lost that defamation trial, so, meh. (laughs) Um, So, remember that DNA evidence that didn't match Damien, J.C., Jesse or Jason? Yeah. Well, um... Judge Burnett said that that wasn't conclusive enough evidence to justify a new trial. He is just doing everything in his power to keep these poor boys in prison. This DNA evidence is also what converted John Mark Byers to believe that Damien, Jason, and Jesse were in fact innocent. So John Mark Byers was Christopher Byers' stepfather. And for years, like, over a decade, John Mark Byers stood firm in his belief that Damien, Jesse and Jason were, in fact, the people, the, the boys who killed his son and other two other eight year old boys. But once this evidence, this DNA evidence came out and proved these three boy, boys innocent, even John Mark Byers, who was the most staunch believer that they had done it, changed his fucking mind. Because you can't argue with DNA evidence. You can't. That's not how it works. That's why we have it. This uh, made him, made John Mark Byers shift his hatred towards Her- Terry Hobbs. Um, Byers had been wholly outspoken against the three teenagers this entire time. So it was like super shocking when he switched sides. Um, he did apologize to Damien, Jesse, Jesse and Jason and began advocating to clear their names to have them released. In 2011, David Burnett, the judge, was elected to the Senate of Arkansas, which meant that a new judge would replace him in the case of the West Memphis Three. Thank God. This is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful news. Amazing for Damian, Jason, and Jesse. Um, Burnett had actually scheduled an evidentiary hearing for December of 2011, Because the Arkansas Supreme Court told him to, basically, Uh, the Arkansas Supreme Court was like, they looked at all the evidence and were like, this guy's not doing his fucking job. You need to schedule this evidentiary hearing. And um, on but on August 19th, 2011, quote, after 18 years and 78 days of incarceration, the West Memphis Three appear for an unexpected circuit court session four months prior to the scheduled evidentiary hearing. Basically what happened was the new judge, David Woo! David Lazer, we fucking like him. He decided to call an emergency hearing. So instead of waiting until December. So what happened at this hearing was Damien, Jason, and Jesse all entered something called an Alford plea. This is a, a guilty plea, but with a profession of innocence. So basically, the defendants plead guilty, but maintain their innocence. Does that make sense? So they accept the charges without saying, yes, I did this crime. All three of the boys said that they did it because it was in their best interest. In fact, Jason said that he did not want to accept this plea. He did not want to accept the charges. But he said, quote, they're trying to kill Damien. And sometimes you just got to bite the gun to save somebody. And Damien thanked him for taking the plea on his behalf and they hugged and I cried. <laughs> it was this, it, this, I cried a lot while doing this research. Um, so on August 19th of 2011, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly walked out of prison after serving 18 years and 78 days for a crime they did not commit. They suffered horrible things in prison. Damien was in solitary for the better part of a decade. Um, his eyesight suffered because of that. He now has to wear sunglasses or tinted lenses everywhere, even inside. Jesse now has a tattoo of a clock on top of his head. Um, only this clock doesn't have hands, just the numbers. Um, he says that, that the tattoo represents time standing still for him. He said that when they let him out, that's the time he'll have put on that clock so he has probably 819 tattooed on the top of his head now jason said he was beaten mercilessly by other inmates who thought that he had committed the crime he suffered a broken collarbone and a fractured skull and that's just what i could find of the t- the three of them their experiences it was obviously much worse Damien Echols was 18 years old when he went to prison in 1994. He was 36 when he left prison in 2011. Jesse Kelly was 17 when he went to prison and 35 when he was released. Jason Baldwin was 16 years old when he went to prison and was 34 when he was released. Since being released from prison, Damien moved to New York with his wife, Lori, and they lived in Salem for a minute, which is very fitting. Um, since he has also released several books, including life after death, um, high magic, a guide to the spiritual practices that saved my life on death row and angels and archangels, a magician's guide, all of which I will be purchasing and reading. Um, Jason founded a nonprofit dedicated to overturning wrongful convictions. It's called proclaim justice. Uh, he also speaks at conventions and conferences and has, and has is, Mm -hmm. And is working towards a career in law. Uh, that's all I could find about um, about Jason. And I couldn't really find a lot for Jesse. Uh, he was arrested in 2017 for driving without a license. Um, which, like, because of his Alford plea, um, it could have sent him back to prison. Because part of, like, the plea was that you can't get in trouble again for, like, uh, 10 or 15 years. Something like that. Um, so I know this is super long but just one more thing Uh, in January of 2022 Damien's attorney filed a petition to use new DNA technology on some of the evidence in order to attempt to identify the killers and clear the West Memphis Three's names Um, the judge denied this petition stating that only people who are incarcerated have the right to request a DNA test of evidence so (laughs) so Lonnie Sor sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> no pun intended, my bad, um, who was on Damien's defense team said of the judge's decision, quote, we are extremely disappointed in the judge's decision, which was based upon a narrow interpretation of the law and one that failed to allow justice to be served. All we asked is for the right to seek to identify the DNA of the real killer, My parentheses. Uh, He has also said that they plan to appeal this decision. So this case is still ongoing after 30 years because they wasted 18 years on the wrong fucking suspects. So that's the West Memphis three, but that's definitely not all of it. Um, There could definitely be like entire podcasts about this case. Uh, There are so many twists and turns and it's just so fucked up on so many levels there were, I mean I said this before but there were really six victims of this case, the three 8-year-old boys who were brutally murdered and mutilated and have yet to receive their justice and the three teenagers who were wrongfully convicted and served 18 fucking years for this stupid decision. All because they wore black and listened to metal music. No one has gotten justice in this case. No one. Not the parents, not the victims, no one. It just sucks. So a real shitty case it sucks now do you see why i'm so mad about it yes i do so let's talk real quick about um the stranger things connection all right so spoiler alert if you haven't seen stranger things 4 go away <laughs> i love you but go away <laughs> so uh they it's like the duffer brothers have said that um eddie is based on damien Eccles. because i mean do you see the similarities yeah like the the wear the black and they play the fantasy games and listen to the music and whatever. So yeah, Eddie is based on Damian Eccles. But I definitely see the parallels and good on you, Duffer Brothers. And Damien Eccles has said that he's like honored to be honored like that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But yeah. That's the West Memphis three. Sorry for making you sad. <laughs> And I'm sorry that this was an hour long episode. I promise not all of mine will be an hour long, but this one just, I, I literally, this research took me a week and I just was so engulfed in it for that. So that whole week, it just, this case just gets me. Mm -hmm. It just, I cried pretty much the whole time. It was ridiculous. (laughs) It sucks, but I don't know. I'm glad that. Um, Damien, Jesse, and Jason are doing well and I hope that they continue to do well. And, um, I'm going to go buy all of Damien's books and read them because I'm interested. (laughs) So, okay. Well, um, I hope I didn't ruin everyone's day. (laughs) I know I was speaking really quickly and I know that there were a lot of characters, but I, uh, I hope that I did this one some justice because it definitely deserves it. And, uh. I really hope that Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch get their justice someday. Melissa Byers and John Mark Byers both passed away. Um, John Mark Byers actually passed away just in 2020. Like, oh Yeah. So, yeah. <sighs> wow. Sorry for making everyone sad. <laughs> well, um, I hope that we see you guys next week still. I hope I didn't scare you away <laughs> from this season. <laughs> I hope I didn't scare Erica away from this season. (laughs) That was really intense. But thanks for hanging in there with me, guys. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mysterious Ish. All episodes are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. Follow us on social media at Mysterious Ish Pod. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or stories to share, you can email us at mysteriousishpod at gmail.com or visit our website at mysteriousishpod.com. Make sure to come back next week for another discussion about the mysteries of the universe.